Lucas Tigers and Bronze is brought to you by Hybrid Grading Approach. HGA is revolutionizing the industry by implementing software that will allow them to scan, analyze, and grade cards without subjectivity. This allows for consistent and unbiased grading. They have an easy submission process and best-in-class customer service. Their pricing model is simple. Pay by the day, not by the value of the card. And when they say 10 business days, they mean 10 business days. All right, we're live. So back with the 10 for 10 series. And uh, I got to tell you, like, we've had a lot, we've had some really cool guests on. So I'm not, I'm not going to say anything about that. But for some reason, I'm excited for today's guest because it's someone that, you know, has had success in the hobby, but he's done it in so such an interesting way. Uh, first off, he's got a personality and he doesn't take himself too seriously. He's funny. Uh, I actually rode up on his booth when I was doing like the Instagram live and I asked him to, you know, drop some bars, let people know that we're watching um, our Instagram live, you know, what they would do. What's the vibe like at national and off the cuff, no preparation. He didn't kick me out. He, he shared insight and he shared some really good insights. So he's a dealer. That's one. He runs big, big night breaks, which is awesome. Awesome. And I think a lot of you guys know about big night breaks. Then he runs a show, a Causeway show. But that's kind of the tip of the iceberg because this man is a businessman and he, his roots are in nightlife. And I think if one thing, you know, when we're talking about the hobby, we all want to see the pie grow. And I think that cool factor that keeps coming up and up and up and up in this 10 for 10 series, I think nightlife is the cool factor. And bringing that into cards is really interesting. So I'm excited to learn from this man. I'm excited to have the conversation about, you know, what he's done, how he's gotten in the hobby, but also the future. I guarantee you guys know this guy, Chris Costa. Welcome to the show, man. It's good to have you. It's good to be here. Thank you guys for having me. I'm, I'm super stoked to be part of the 10 for 10 series. As I was telling you guys earlier, amazing idea. I love the concept. I've watched all of them. Obviously, huge names in the hobby. And the fact that I'm even here is super humbling and super exciting. So um, pumped to have a chance to talk to you guys. And yeah, I think you know our, our background in the hobby and our background outside of the hobby um, definitely creates a unique kind of synergy of two different worlds. And that's what we're trying to bring to this industry. So I'm um, definitely excited to kind of dig in with you guys today. Can we get somebody besides Steve Aoki? Like, is, that, is that difficult? I mean, is that too much for me to ask? You know, I, yeah, I, 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 and before you answer that, because I, I know you guys, you had him on, you did your stuff. I mean, I, I only half joke, but, you know, that dude's everywhere in cards, man. I mean, you know, like there are other, I guess, ski. You know, maybe we have like a battle, you know, like a little DJ battle between the two of them. But, but I mean, I want a couple of other. I want, I want some other names. But here's yeah, the I, question, right, for Aoki. Did you sneak the color blast in the box for him to break? Or do, does it just happen that when the big name comes to break, they get the big hit? We've had – so first up, yeah, Steve is, <laughs> is awesome. He's a friend, and he's amazing for the hobby. He gives us, you know, reach that we haven't had. And, and all of the celebrities that have entered our category have, have done that for us, but Steve in particular, because he's a true hobbyist. He loves cards. But yeah, I don't know what it is. So for some reason, every time we have a celebrity friend on Big Night Breaks or at one of our live events, for some reason the box delivers. That's and it. Yeah, the monsters come out, right? Crazy. So we had Steve on with us when you know Steve was in town playing at one of our venues, which we can talk about uh, you know later in the show. Um, but Steve is in town playing one of our venues, which he does all the time. And he came back to the studio the next morning. We grabbed some breakfast, came back, we opened some UFC Prism, and sure enough, his box had a color blast in it. So. I don't know how it works out. It did work out. But yeah, to your point, the more celebrities, the more notoriety, the more public, um, you know, faces that we can bring into this industry, the better for all of us. Right. hundred percent. Chris, did you go cards, then venues, nightlife, or was it nightlife and venues? And you're like, well, cards make a lot of sense. Yeah. Great question. So I've been a collector my whole life uh, since I was a seven, eight, 10 year old kid. Um, you know, collected open packs. I can remember sitting in the middle seat of my mother's back, you know, the back seat at the middle back seat of my mother's car, opening packs as a little kid. I was chasing like Nomar Garcia Parra and, you know, Manny Ramirez when he made the way his way over to the Sox and, you know, all the way through the 2000s. Went off to play baseball at school and, you know, chased the baseball dream for a while and, and left the hobby behind. The binders collect dust, the boxes collect dust and um, come back to the hobby 2017. Um, and you know, breaking had become a thing. So I started entering breaks as a customer started, you know, 
chasing that excitement while also, you know, buying singles and collecting and buying and selling and trading. So as a dealer, my presence in the industry started to grow. And then uh, friends of mine who I've known my entire life, close, you know, really, really close friends of mine have owned and operated Big Night um, since its inception over 10 years ago. Right. And Big Night is the leader, if not, you know, one of the top two leaders in the nightlife and entertainment space in the country. We have 17 venues, nightlife, you know, nightclubs, restaurants, bars, concert halls. Um, and during the pandemic, big night venues shut down. It was, you know, lights out. And how do we innovate? How do we how do we change? How do we do things differently? How do we get into more media and content? And Randy, my my now partner, um, and longtime friend and I sat down and I was explaining to him how crazy the card market had gotten, right? I'm buying Juan Soto's and they're tripling in price. I'm buying Patrick Mahomes and they're quadrupling in price. And he's like, you should make a business out of it. And, you know, fast forward a few weeks, um, we ended up sitting down at the table and writing out a business plan and building a business together. And that was Big Night Breaks. Um, and Big Night Breaks kind of took on a, this, this organic growth path that it took. And, you know, as it established itself and as we established ourselves as breakers, we realized that there was a broader opportunity to kind of put our hands into the other pockets that this industry offers as dealers. Right. And bringing my expertise as a dealer and, you know, as, as content providers and as, you know, show hosts and, you know, all of these things that Big Night does as a leader in our space in entertainment and putting on shows and giving people experiences and putting an entertainment wrapper around things we brought into the sports card space. So that's what you see every night when we've got guys like Dana White on Big Night Breaks opening UFC Prism and Steve Aoki and, you know, Patriots and Celtics and, you know, all of the athletes that we have in our, our live streams. Um, we've been super fortunate to have that access. And I think it was just natural that what we do as entertainers carried over into the sports card space. And now here we are kind of on this trajectory together as an industry. But I think also, you know, hopefully we're helping to kind of drive that as well. Is that the next Dude. frontier, right? I mean, people people with the cards, right? It's funny how, how it evolves, right? It's like, okay, just buy the cards and sell the cards. Then it was, you know, buy wax, sell wax. And buy singles, sell singles. It, it, you know, with, with, the, with the event venues going away, and, uh, you know, people, people locked up home, although it started before COVID and lockdowns. Breaking was like the next frontier, right? Breaking, online breaking, you name it. But as we're, you know, able to kind of come back to the LCSs or back to shows, you know, as the world starts to, you know, open back up again, is this new, Andrew likes to call it the collision of cards and culture. Is that the new frontier for cards? Are there going to be these these awesome stores that combine, you know, celebrities, sports guys, hangouts, you know, social club type settings with cards? Is that the is that the next thing to bring cards out of the basement? My cards are still in the basement, by the way. But is that the thing that brings like cool, like we take it away from Dungeons and Dragons and into like cool sports into la games? into lounges, la lounges and cigars and uh, poker nights? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so cage, that's what I see. That's what we see as our team. Um, so just to kind of break down our business, right? We've got big night breaks. We've got cost of cards, which is our presence as a dealer. We've got the causeway card show and what will be before the end of the year. Now, three brick and mortar retail locations. Okay. Um, all of which are at landmark flagship locations, uh, specifically in the Northeast, but you know, soon thereafter beyond the Northeast, um, you know, where we think or we feel that brick and mortar experience, that retail experience needs a change. And, you know, you see guys like Bleeker and, and you know, a, a lot of guys in the space, guys that you've had on this series um, start to, to push and, and, and drive that change. And we certainly feel like we need to be part of that. So what we're bringing to the table from a retail perspective, from an LCS perspective is going to be a different experience. And it's going to be an experience that's fueled not only by our expertise in this space as entertainers and as, you know, building state of the art venues, as, as we've already done 17 times, but bringing in really big names as partners in those ventures and bringing in really big names and dragging some big names that aren't necessarily part of this industry into this industry, um, along with the ones that we know uh, on a day to day basis. But that's what we're excited about. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think we're heading towards this 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 new realm of of experience, right? And I think that's what the hobbies lacked is experience. And I, I you know, I think guys like Bleeker and and you know some others that you've had on hit the nail on the head with the national. 
you know, where was the experience? And it was lacking that. That's what I think this industry is lacking is taking what is such a, a fundamentally exciting industry, um, but we don't have any experiences built around it. So I think that's where we come in, or at least that's where we're going to try to play our part is creating an experience, creating an environment, creating an ecosystem where people can really, you know, touch the excitement that this industry has to offer. So I'm excited, Cage. You want to you jump in here? You want to jump in here? No, I mean, it would be easy to do, right? And not to crap on the national, but it's a national thing. But I mean, there are guys there who, who have their stuff and they're not selling it. You know, like Golden's been there forever. Heritage's been there forever. Like, why couldn't they set up, you know, like GoGTS had a little lounge for their folks to sit in. It was empty. You know, there was nobody in there. What if they combined, you know, GoGTS and Heritage, GoGTS and Golden, and they took that space and it became kind of like, um, I don't call it VIP, but it became like, um, like a museum lounge. And golden stuff is on display in there while people are mingling. Maybe they got some drinks. They got like museum style. Like here's the here's the LeBron exquisites. Instead of just in that little cramped booth in the middle that nobody finds, it becomes sort of like a hangout destination kind of cool thing. You know, I think it'd be easy to do. It'd be easy to have you know a, a a breaking room that actually had a breaking stage that rotated every hour. Another breaker got up on stage with their big break. Like that, like that sushi. That's like that sushi line at the grocery store, right? It just yeah. Dude, you I don't want to answer. Me he buys sushi at the grocery store. I don't. I would never do that. I mean, maybe it's different in Mexico. Maybe it's fresh. You live right by the ocean. It's fresh. But a grocery store out here, no sushi. Let me try. Let me answer for Chris, and then I want to hear if if this is what what what's along his lines. Uh, so I saw you on the slab talk, and you had a great line there. You were like, "You're challenging people to make better content. I'm challenging people to be better breakers. Uh, I'm challenging people better shows." And you you do a really good job with your Causeway show. From, from the photos, from the vibe I saw, to me, it wasn't like a typical show. It felt like a place you wanted to go and spend a few hours and really like just chill as much as be a part of the show. So is that right? Like the innovation for the national is going to come from someone like you, not from the national changing anything. Well, I think it has to, but I think we're all accountable to each other in a lot of ways. Right. And that goes back to the, the line I had in Slab Talk is like we have to be accountable to each other because we can't just trust that somebody else is going to do this for us. Right. This is our industry. It doesn't belong to anybody else other than ourselves. So, you know, why wasn't there national media coverage at the national? Why wasn't, you know, why weren't there reporters at the national doing interviews? Why weren't there, you know, news cameras at the national covering what we're doing? Because what we did, what happened at the national, the actual amount of sheer foot traffic is a news story. And what is happening in this industry? You know, yeah, you get clips of record sales and you get clips of, crazy buys and crazy seller, you know, record sales. But what's happening on a day-to-day -day basis needs to be captured and it needs to be captured by the mainstream media. So I like what was mentioned in one of your other series. Like, why isn't there a, a, a radio row at our national? Why aren't there actively opportunity or active opportunities for us to set up all of the coverage that we want in one space, right? I spent my entire life you know, my, my, my father's a, a radio and television personality in Boston. I spent my entire life, you know, traveling with him to the Grammys and the, M the VMAs and the Super Bowl. And, you know, I took part in those, you know, as, as a production assistant growing up, trying to learn the, the media industry. And it's very simple to do. You set up, you give people an opportunity to interview the names in this hobby and, and cover what's going on in our industry. And it will help. So, yeah, there's there's definitely an experiential change, an experiential shift that needs to happen at the shows like the National, but also just across the hobby. And we try to do it from a break perspective. I mean, during the pandemic, we when Big Night Live, our concert venue was shut down, we were opening it up on Thursdays for Thursday night football and doing live break parties. So we would be on stage and we'd be ripping for both of our online, both our online customers, but also people in the stands. And we'd set up food, drinks, socially distance, of course. But, you know, having that live experience cage, like you said, where there's already a stage at the National and there's a room full of breakers and it's not being used to break cards, that oh, doesn't make sense to me. And it could be set up in a way where it's an enjoyable experience. It's an engaging experience for the crowd to interact with the breakers and not just the breakers to sit there in their booths and, you know, break to their online audiences and, all of a sudden you got 30 breaks going on at once and nobody knows what's happening. And there's no, you know, there's no personal interaction. So um, yes to everything you mentioned. And I think it's, it's going to take an effort by all of us and not necessarily a coordinated effort, but an effort um, 
to make the shift that needs to happen, I think, for this thing to really pop. I mean, our industry is growing at a, at a rapid pace, but how do we make it, you know, what we all want it to be? And I think what we want it to be is something incredibly special and, you know, in the forefront of the public. I'm curious, Cage, and I think you're going to agree with this and actually have a take yourself. The Always land grab that's going to happen for LCSs, right? Like this LCSs are going to be around, maybe just not the way that they looked. And I'm curious, Costa, like what what's your LCS vibe? Because there's going to be some that just go land grab and they're like, I'm going to open up a store in every city. But, you know, it's going to dilute the brand. You're going to have to rush to hire and the people might not be as passionate about cards. Others, you know, they might want to do tra trade night and lounges, but they're not selling any product, right? So this like kind of what is the new version of an LCS yeah. is super interesting. Do you, yeah. have, do you have an opinion on it at all? I do. I think uh, an LCS, a card store, at least from my perspective and what we're trying to do is we're trying to ground our brand. We're trying to bring our brand to the street and help us develop a personal, tangible relationship with our consumers and also be able to put our brand out there in a physical, tangible way, right? So giving our customers a place to come and to gather and to transact and enter breaks, buy cards, buy slabs, buy wax, you know, that's important to us. We could do that online. We do it online already. We all do, right? Some of the most successful dealers in the country are strictly online. Some of the most successful, or all of the most successful breakers in the, in the country are, are strictly online. You know, there's no... The upside of retail and brick and mortar is an opportunity to put your brand and and put your brand on the ground and build roots and then develop com community around your brand, um, and that's where my head's at. And what people, you know, there's a lot of talk about. Oh, you know, I'm opening a shop. He's opening a shop. They're opening a shop. The store's opening down the street here. What people don't realize is that a lot goes into opening a store. And even more goes into opening multiple stores and then the logistics around opening multiple stores as far as inventory and allocation and supplies and staff and POS and integrating everything is oftentimes I look at as insurmountable. <laughs> you know, we're, we're going down this road and, you know, we're very fortunate to have the team that we do and the resources that we do to be able to execute. Um, but. You know, the value of a store is definitely there from my perspective as far as building community around a brand and, and giving your customers something tangible to touch. Um, but you have to be very strategic in how you do it. Coming from retail, man, people get excited about grand openings. But like the grand opening is like now now everything starts, right? Like when you're breaking online, you kind of do things on your own schedule. eBay, if you're like a big consigner, you're like, I'll list the cards tomorrow morning. I'm just not feeling it. With the retail store, mm, 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 mm. it's uh, it's twenty four seven. Yeah, we didn't we didn't ask us this, but like, what was your overall? You know, we always ask people. This is a national show. What was your overall impression of national? We talked about the things that could be done better. Is there anything you yeah. saw that like you might be exciting? A lot of people mentioned the average age. Uh, what was your take for national? Yeah. So overall, I mean, I'm a dealer, right? Among all these other things I do, I'm a dealer. And as, as dealers, the national was fantastic, at least from my perspective and from a lot of other dealers that I you know, consider colleagues perspective. Um, a lot of foot traffic, cash transactions, trading, cash trading, like just really healthy transactional activity that I think a lot of us were, were really kind of waiting to see what was going to happen at the national because we saw a soft market. We saw the market. You know, we saw a crazy bull market leading up to this past year. And then the things then things kind of started to soften and then they started to pick back up. And then the national kind of started to say, at least in my eyes, we're coming back and we're, you know, things are feeling, you know, pretty healthy. Um, so overall, I thought the national to me told me that the market as a, as a sports card market was healthy. Um, and some of the corrections that we had seen and some of the things that had felt like they'd been gone soft. Uh, were actually necessary and, you know, correct adjustments. You know, when you start seeing Luca Prism base go for three grand, there might be an issue, right? So now that we're in that $900 range, that feels a little bit more appropriate compared to what else you're seeing. But Tatum's cheap, stuff, right? Tatum's still cheap. Tatum, the, Tatum should cost more, right? He should cost more. That's, That's right. It. Tatum's Look, I'll tell you. Jalen Brown's cheap. Marcus Smart's cheap. Let's go. Stay away from Tatum. I want all the Tatum. <laughs> Stay away from him. No, but Getting Schroeder on a such a such a good deal is going to make the Celtics better, but I'm not going to go that route. 
I, I think he could. I think he's got the skill set. I think it, it, it leaves some questions up in the air for what happens to Marcus Smart, but let's – I digress. I think, I think overall, if I were to paint a picture, the national told me that the market as a, as a transactional market is healthy. And what we saw as a correction was appropriate. Outside of that, I think the national told me and, and kind of made it very clear where we're lacking. And it goes back to the experience. It goes back to building this and building, you know, the experience around our industry um, and building it out to being what it really deserves to be. You know, we have some of the biggest names in the world actively taking part in this hobby, right? Steve Aoki, Gary V, you know, mm -hmm. all of the athletes that hold on to their own cards that are right to be part of this actively, right? We know LeBron has a bunch of his own cards. We know Giannis has held back a bunch of his own cards. We know Shaq has his cards. You know, Cage, Cage is there. I mean, you got Cage big names. Is there. You got big names. You know, you got me, I'm there. Yeah, Costa's there. That's it, man. We got the biggest um, names in the biz. It, but it's crazy because, like, look at who, look at who touches this industry. But we're not where it needs to be. Like, it should be so much bigger from a, an optics perspective than it is. So that's where I think the big gap is, and that's what the national told me. Because the national, as amazing as it is, and as as great as we all do as dealers. It's a dusty room with a cement floor and no, no excitement to me. Needs more. So um, the national tells me the market's hot, but it also tells me there's a lot to be done. Do you How think do AC? Like, I'm wondering AC is going to be interesting as a venue. Yeah, AC is different, vary. man. It's different because the, the hotels are a little more spread out from the convention center. It's a little. I mean, I've, I've been to Atlantic City quite a few times, not for the yeah. national, but you know. I heard the hotel, I think it's a Sheridan that's attached, is already sold out. Like the one, you know, that's actually walkable. Yeah. Well, why I bring that up is like when you're throwing an event, I mean, I don't know. You'll tell me this. You throw a ton of events. How important is the venue? Like to me, it's got to be at least 30, 40, 50%. Like if you chose a city like Vegas, you have infinitely more opportunity or Miami than you do Rosemont. You know what I mean? Like Rosemont has three steakhouses and, yeah. and a big convention center. So like how, how important is just deciding where – where the big event is. Well, I think the venue's huge, but think about that, right? The National was at Chicago O'Hare Airport, 35 to 40 minutes away from downtown Chicago by three restaurants and a bunch of mediocre hotels. And you had however many tens of thousands of people show yep. up. And A-list celebrities too. We're dying to explode. Like we're the, the industry is just begging to explode and we're just not giving it the the ignition that it needs or the fuel that it needs. You know, you put this thing in Vegas, you put this thing we'll see in Atlantic City, who knows what happens, but that's only part of the equation, right, Cage? Like you mentioned, like, how do we get there? It's a really good question because, you know, we're all, we're all in this really unique space where it's like community and we're all kind of tied together and kind of partners in a way, but also there's some competition and, you know, how do we do it together? Can we coordinate it? Probably not. So it's going to take some real effort from a production perspective for somebody come, to come in here and put on a proper show, right? Is that us? I don't know. Is our show going to become something like that in the near future? Possibly. Um, are we going to be the national? Probably not. The national has earned what it is. And, you know, it's going to take somebody coming in with a little different of a, an approach, a little different flavor, painting it with a different brush and saying, hey, sports cards are what we're doing here, but there's way more to do, right? Like at our show in Boston, we do sports cards during the day and then we give everybody an itinerary at night. Hey, go here if you want to see Aoki play. Go here if you want to see Shaq DJ Big Night Live. Go down the street here if you want to go to one of our restaurants or if you want to go to one of our bowling alleys, go here where there's a DJ playing or you have all these different options to go to one of our events or any other event. Um, and we give you some direction at night, like go do this and have fun and enjoy yourself. You don't have to just go to a card show, wait for your knees to hurt and then go home and maybe go to a trade night and get in bed, like enjoy the show and then go party your face off and come back later in the morning at 10, 11 AM. Right? So we're trying to change it up a little bit on our end. I don't know what the perfect recipe is to kind of flip the script on this thing, but I know the hobby's dying to explode, man. 75,000 tickets pre-sold at the National in the middle of Rosemont. Come on. Costa, see, Costa's young guy, Cage, and even his knees were and hips were hurting from the National. So it's not just you. It's not just you. 
It's funny, Cage is cutting in and out. That's because someone at the house is using a microwave. Fun, fun fact. Yeah, uh, and I'm an old man. Can we, can we, can we shift gears, Cage, whenever you're back and your internet's uh, not choppy, jump back in. But I'm curious, did any content creator or any you know startup from the national or this year, have they left an impression on you? Is there a business that you're really excited about or a content creator that you might be really excited about that like, just, they know what they're doing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, first off, the, the amount of like transactions that are happening at the, at the platform level um, and at the business level are, are really exciting to me. There's big, like mature businesses getting involved in this hobby and transacting businesses, right? You've got Collectors Universe and that group, you know, making acquisitions, you know, Ken Golden's group being acquired and being part of a large acquisition, conglomerates coming in with large groups of investors and, you know, those folks making strategic decisions that you know are calculated, right? That's exciting to me. Um, but then I look at platforms like Whatnot, right? As a breaker, a platform like Whatnot gives, it has shaken the industry, has shaken the industry of breaking and given breakers a different way to offer their services to consumers, right? It's a, it's totally flipped the script and, and given us a different way to provide a breaking experience to our consumers. So that's one. Um, platforms like Collectible and Alt and Starstock, right? Those are platforms that were in their infancy or are still in their infancy, but are gaining traction and and building businesses around core concepts. So um, those are the types of things I see that excite me because you know I, I spent a lot of my career in the in the software and technology space, right? I was a you know enterprise software representative for a long time. I traveled the country, went to all the trade shows, worked for the big tech companies, you know. What I see those companies doing reminds me of the startup space and, and the tech world and, you know, gathering investment, raising yep. funds, going out there and convincing, you know, VCs and hedge funds to invest in their businesses excites me. That's pretty cool, man. I, I didn't know that that was your background. Uh, and now it actually makes a lot of sense because I, right after college, I moved to the Silicon Valley and I worked for a startup as a sales rep. And I honestly think like, did I want to be like the best salesperson in the world? No, but I do think two, three years in sales at a college, especially when you're like, I'm trying to figure out life really important because it teaches you foundational communication skills. But why I say that is Boston is also a tech hub. Yeah. And a lot of people from the cart. So when I was in the Silicon Valley and I say this on our show, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency were just in its infancy. So I moved there in 2013. Coinbase was just starting up. And like we see Coinbase now and like Bitcoin adoption and all that stuff. But back then you were a freaking nerd if you talked about Bitcoin. You were the guy in the basement with your cards, cryptocurrency. Like there was a site called local Bitcoins or where you would go and you'd have to meet someone at a cafe to trade their Bitcoin. So like the sports card hobby reminds me a lot of crypto and Bitcoin in 2013. Uh this it's is line. Fun. He's still a nerd. He's still in the basement. I have an idea, Costa. So I mean, here's my. my you're question. you're not even on the screen. Uh, my my question. I'm on a screen, and if I'm not on the screen, I'm not on the screen. So, but here, okay, you ready? I just thought of this. I just thought of this while you were talking. So maybe I'll give you credit for the idea, okay? And it's in your crypto world, Andrew. It's in your your you know your 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 fun stuff. The National, which is what we're sort of talking about here, is run by one dude. It's one dude. Right? Does a good I mean, job too. For you know, one, he does a great show. job for what he's doing, but he's like 127 years old. You know, when Andrew asked for a media pass, he talked to that guy to yep. get it. Right? <laughs> like literally, he's answering the emails. He's doing it all himself. He's got a, 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 a basically a list of the people that he's allowed to give tables to based on seniority, and it's like it's unfungible. It is non-fungible. It's fun, <laughs> you know, like it is one of those things, right, where you can't mess with it. That's his list. It doesn't matter if you're like the face of the hobby now. We're still sticking you in the back room, which is fine. That's that's he's hobby. back. Right? What so, happened was Chick Fil A delivered to, the, to his house, and he didn't want people to see. So so no so. Anyway, so I wish Chick-fil-A delivered. I got I to order food. I do McDonald's. But I'm thinking about this and we're saying, how do we make it go, right? How, how do we make it so that people know about the hobby? How do we make it so that it, it takes its next step, right? Because, you know, you're, you're right. People are, people are like this, like, let's make it happen. But we're, we're constrained, right, by Chicago, by Rosemont, by the shitty Capitol Grill Steakhouse, where everybody has to try to get a reservation to. So, so, so no problem, Capital Grill. I guess we're not going to be sponsored by you, but shit happens. So, but here's the fun, right? right? You go and you look at what's going on in the crypto world, right? Everybody's on the same team. Look at Bored Apes, 
right? Who the hell wants to spend 20 Ethereum floor on a fucking ape that you put in the picture? Everyone, obviously. Why? <laughs> Everybody. It's because insane. they're all on the same team. There's 10,000 of them in an echo chamber on Twitter, on wherever it is, talking about we're all on the board eight yacht club. We're all together. We're all like, yeah, okay, maybe mine's a little better than yours. It's a little more rare. It's got more color. But they're all pumping. They're all shilling. They're all, they're all paddling in the same direction. You get where I'm going, right? And there is, there is not that in the hobby. Because there's a lot of competition, and we can't just wait for the national dude to make sure he's still alive for the next show. And then also to, like, he is going to be the one where we're all going to talk about these ideas. So what about, like, um, you know, other industries have this. What about, like, a, um, like a board? What about, like, a, you know, like a, you know, like a Knights of the Round Table? You know, like a board of direct, but for the hobby, you know, an unofficial kind of deal, right? Like, what about, like... You know, I don't know how you do it. I don't know if you have how you elect it. But what if we had like, you know, someone from the graders, someone from the breakers, someone from the LCS, someone they get together, they're all and 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 they are the ones who are charged with getting the media on board, getting nationally. Like I've been on TV in friggin' China. I don't know how the hell that happened, but the national wasn't. You know what I mean? So True. So, so unless there, unless we figure out a way, and I, maybe my board idea is stupid, right? But no one's coming up with a better well, one. But I, I know what you're saying, Cage. We're I know, all have to paddle in the same. You can compete. Everybody has to make money. We're making a living. All that stuff. But but at, in order for Andrew started us off that we want the pie to be bigger, right? We want everybody to. If the pie's bigger, then our little slice becomes a bigger slice, right? Everybody gets a slice of the pie. How do we figure out a way to? Go ahead, Andrew. Sorry. Well, well give your internet a fix if you can, if, if, if you don't mind. Um, but no, it, ma it makes total sense because we have the resources, right? Like, and Chris, you could talk how, about this. How about, how, how's my internet? Oh, he left. Uh, he gets mad when we talk about his internet or his sound quality. But no, like, we, I, th I think what he's saying with the board is we have the resources. Like, you have the connections. There's tons of content creators. There's a ton of people that are bloggers. The resources are there. They're just not pulled together in the right direction to kind of focus yeah. it forward. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I think, you know, the, the answer to the question still remains to be seen. I think from our perspective, you know, we feel like the answer is putting our wrapper around what we think this industry can be and then just building it from there. Right. So with our Causeway card show, you know, will it grow? Yes. Will it be at a bigger venue? Likely. And will it be, you know, more of a scheduled destination event? That's the plan, right? And I think as far as shows go and card shows and trade shows, that's one thing to solve for. But um, the broader industry, I mean, we're on a crazy trajectory as it is. Yes, there's things and there's, you know, there's, there's you know, room for improvement in a lot of areas. But I am impressed with, with what I'm seeing out of a lot of companies. Um, there he is. There he is. Look at that. It's like uh, 500 megahertz now coming in high. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm super impressed with what I'm seeing, but yeah, there's no, there's no clear cut answer. I, I think we've got our ideas and that's what we're trying to implement. And, you know, I think over the next six months, you'll, you'll start to see a lot of, of, of exciting stuff out of big night sports. I wanted to ask you this, man. And I like people like you cause you're a straight shooter, but you also are a good communicator. I think, I don't know if you saw, I think you did. It was like that card porn post with like Sasha and MC sports cards, right? You were there live. Talk to us about that experience, I guess, maybe before and after it blew yeah. up on our little Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so first and foremost, Mike MC and I are, you know, he's my closest friend uh, in this hobby and also a very close friend outside. of it. Um, I've learned a lot from Mike. He's a young guy, but he's a leader in this industry. He's the biggest dealer I know of. And some of the stuff he's he does, the way he operates is inspiring and blows me away and he's as intelligent as it gets in this industry sasha i have a, a relationship with as well and sasha and i are friends and sasha has a totally different style and approach to sports cards than mike does both approaches are fine right sasha flips cards he buys cards he sells them he makes a profit he invests in certain areas and he builds content and he's good for this hobby because he has a really great following and really good reach. mike has built more of a, you know, a traditional business around this industry where, you know, he's got a consignment business. He is a dealer. He buys, sells and trades. He grades, he sells wax, right? He's got, he's touching a lot of different areas. 
Mike and Sasha have a relationship. We know Sasha. Sasha knows us. Sasha knows Mike. Mike knows Sasha. So going into the transaction that happened at the airport, a lot of the times when we interact like that, Sasha's pushing only because he's comfortable with us. And the pushing is is coming from almost not a joking place. Like he's trying to get a deal done and he's pushing and pushing and pushing, but he's comfortable pushing because we know each other. Um, with that said, you know, I think, you know, overall, maybe they could have cut out or left out some of the pieces around what Sasha shared, um, what was, you know, what he originally bought the card for. But he asked if we wanted to know what, what he bought. The, he's like, you want to know what I bought the card for? Like, yeah. And he told us because we have a relationship and it's not about who got who. It's we know Sasha needs to make money. Mike needs to make money. And ironically, the next day, Mike sold that card and made his profit. So a lot of what's lost in, in these content pieces and a lot of what the public doesn't realize in these content pieces is what happens before and after the transaction, right? The transaction that happened to acquire the card, that dealer's making money. The card gets sold to another dealer, that dealer's likely going to go make money or they're buying the card, at least if they're an intelligent member of this community or they uh, understand sports cards, they're buying it because they see an opportunity with that card. So Sasha, if he bought that card for $5 and sold it to Mike for 30, that doesn't matter to Mike because Mike might see that card being worth 50, right? So yes, I think, you know, some of the, the, I want to call it outrage, but there was some, some bad feedback um, on Sasha's behalf on as far as how the transaction went down, you know, in Sasha's defense, we all know each other. We're all friends. Um, and some of it's kind of just done because we have that personal relationship. But at the end of the day, everybody made money. And, you know, as far as the transaction goes, there's no bad blood. Oh, Gage. Uh, you should, so we did an episode right after national cage, cage negotiated with Sasha, but cages audio got cut out. And the way cage did it was he just wrote a number on a note and slid it across the table. That's easy. That may, that clears things up. That takes a lot of the back and forth out of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, ultimately you have a number you want to get to. If he's not comfortable, yeah. I'll get to my number. I just was putting more stuff on, uh, adding more stuff to the deal to get to my number. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's, you know, that's, that's the, it's a different way of doing it. He had never seen it before. I'm sure he'll maybe use it going forward on some, you know, a tougher deal. Um, you know, I know Sasha for quite some time on, you know, IG. That's the first time we've ever had a, you know, in, an in, in-person transaction, but yeah, I mean, listen, everybody's got their own style, but you're right. I mean, um, you know, like everything else, when you get a snippet of content, you know, the, uh, you know, the context doesn't always have, content doesn't always have all the context you know what i mean so it's part of the yeah absolutely and everybody does have their own style right and you that's being being a dealer that's part of the skill set is being able to identify somebody's style right away or as quickly as possible and then being able to work with them and negotiate with them in the best way possible um so you know sasha's got his style i think he's good for this hobby you know his content has a lot of reach and honestly even with all the bad comments and the bad feedback on that particular video, it's probably a good thing for Sasha's brand because it, it attracts more viewers it attracts more clicks. And, you know, that's part of Sasha's, you know, business model and process. So, um, you know, Sasha's cool with me. Sasha's cool with Mike. Mike's cool with Sasha. Everybody's happy. Um, you know, it, it stinks when things kind of go south like that and people get called out, but it happens and, you know, we move on. I want to ask you about the Causeway show because we were talking a little bit about about it offline. But, um, you know, you mentioned, should we expand? Should we not? You know, is there money, I guess, in shows like you, you? we mentioned someone from the outside or someone like you needs to come in and revolutionize the national. Mm-hmm. But like the first question is, are these shows even profitable? Yeah, good question. That really good question. Um, the answer for us right now is no, we don't make money putting our show on. And it's not about making money, you know, down the road, if it grows and if we attract bigger sponsorships and bigger brands and more tables and more vent, you know, more, uh, you know, patrons, sure, there will be money to made and it will be a viable, you know, piece of our business. But realistically, we started the Causeway Card Show because we wanted a place for people to gather. We wanted an opportunity to, to bring people into a space and host the event and show people what we're all about and bring people, you know, bring awareness to our brand. And at the end of the day, it gives me as a dealer an opportunity to put on another show locally where there really wasn't a great local show in the Boston area. 
Um, and then it kind of took on a mind of its own, right? And people, you know, we great feedback and a positive feedback and when's the next show, when's the next show. So then we decided to grow it to a two day show and then people started flying in and now we'll probably grow to a bigger venue and more people will start flying in and down the road. Will it be you know profitable? Possibly is the national profitable. I would think so. Um, I know the Dallas show is probably very profitable. You know, you get to a certain point where there's enough people coming in the door and enough vendors in the room where, you know, the numbers make sense. But for us, the only reason we pull off what we pull off is because we do it in our own venue. We own the space. We're not paying rent, right? You know, it's our own, you know, employees and our own servers serving drinks and food. And, you know, it's our own stage and our own production crew. So from that perspective, we're very, very fortunate because we get to put on that show at very low cost and it allows us to do so and, and offer a really cheap entry and a really cheap vendor table and, you know, more so just to put on an experience. So, We'll see down the road. Yeah, I think we do it because we think it could be lucrative or it could be profitable. Um, but right now, no, we're just doing it for the experience. My my I don't know if this is my dream, but I'm a huge Barstool fan, right? Like a lot of people don't know Barstool started in Boston. And mm -hmm. like the way they started was this concept when I was in college called Barstool Smoke Shows. I don't know if you remember, like that was freaking hilarious, like the yeah. Barstool now and the Barstool then. And I, yeah. I'm always thinking like Barstool is culture now, you know, like Barstool is internet culture and internet humor. And like, yeah, I know they dabble with Ken Golden. I'm not sure if that's the right fit, to be quite honest. Not that Ken's great and they're great, but like PFT and Big Cat and Ken, it's like a very interesting uh Ken's a smoke show. <laughs> what are you trying to say? Man? I thought Cage Next was going to be busted. Next episode brought to you by Golden Auctions. <laughs> that's it. Come on now. <laughs> what, are you, but, but, what are you trying to say i would love to see barstool get more into sports cards because it feels like it's very much there like it would fit right in like i, I it would be cool to come to new york and do a, an episode from barstool yeah do you, absolutely do you know those guys do you see that happening yeah we we know the barstool guys and you know just being who we are in the boston market in the new england area we we have somewhat of a relationship with them we have you know relationships with DraftKings. we have relationships with you know, Encore and, and the, the win team and, you know, Fenway Sports Group and, you know, Craft Group. And, you know, we, we are very fortunate to have these relationships with with people who I think can be super influential in the space. Barstool, yes, 100 percent. I think this is a space that they can do really well in. I think it's a space that, you know, they can bring a lot of value to, um, whether it's them alone or them partnering with somebody. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, I do think that we need an injection of pop culture. Um, beyond what we already have, right? It's fantastic that we have what we have right now, but we need more. Um, and how do we get there? So is it attracting bigger athletes? Is it attracting bigger celebrities? Is it going to take someone like a, you know, LeBron James to actually dive in and, and, you know, invest in one of these sports card businesses? Is it going to take, you know, Dave and, and Portnoy and his team to, to come out and actually dive in. I know they've touched little things here and there, but are they actually going to dive in? Is it going to be us, right? Like, is our presence in, in position in the nightlife space going to carry over? And are we going to be able to execute like we think we can in, in this industry and, and build something bigger and bring our friendships into this industry, which are a lot of the people I just mentioned? So it remains to be seen. Yes, it's going to require guys like like Portnoy and it's going to require, you know, bigger athletes and bigger ownership groups and all of that to get involved. And I think, you know, we'll start to see a lot more of that over the next six months. Hint, hint. <laughs> I'm, I don't know if this will work. That, which is awesome. Love it. But, but, but a little innovation when it comes to the actual card manufacturers, like to me, like a barstool having ties with the creative like tops or panini would be super super interesting because here's and i want to ask you real quick nfts don't, like if you have don't any think opinion it's innovative to have like hot rookies have their autograph cards signed by like a teammate maybe or like somebody who's not them you think don't you think that's like innovative don't you think it's a things that can be done yeah on the card side the autograph side the relic side the the limited edition releases like things that are a little bit more risque yeah like i, I think there's different things that the, the manufacturers can be doing could we use another manufacturer? That's, I think, an important question. You know, is there space for another manufacturer? Right now, this entire industry is propped up by three companies, really two and a half, right? Like it's Topps, Panini, and a couple of upper deck releases, right? Like how is that even possible? So, you know, when you think about it, you look at this thing from 30,000 feet, like we 
orbit around those three companies. All of us. That's what we do. Like this is all orbiting around three companies. So I've thought about that and where's the opportunity there and not necessarily for us, but like what could happen, you know, as far as innovation in that space. Um, and maybe it is Panini, maybe it is tops, right? They're both incredible at what they do. Like manufacturing quality sports cards is incredibly difficult. That's probably why there's only three, you know, putting a Jersey inside a piece of cardboard and printing it, you know, and cutting it cleanly. And, you know, I know we all shit on the quality and the centering and the corners and the edges, but like doing that at scale, packing shit out and shipping it is an art. And these companies are very good at what they do. We find a lot of opportunity to rip on them, but Panini tops upper deck. They're incredible at what they do. Uh, but is there, is there some room? I don't know, but yeah, I think, there's innovation has to take place in every every area of, of our hobby whether it's content whether it's the actual physical cards whether it's digital nfts i know goldberg you were about to mention nfts yep. like where do we go from here i don't know i'm curious though like what's the nightlife what are people saying in, in your circles about nfts and kind of kind of just to give you a little context i think it's really interesting that the card hobby is kind of like keeps nfts at a, a arm's length where to me, they're very, they're so similar. Like, and I'm curious what your take on NFTs are. They're very uh, connected and different at the same time. And I don't know if there's a better way to, to, to verbalize that, but there is a, a line between NFTs and sports cards, but it is not a hard line by any means. It's a dotted line. And there's, they, they intertwine, they intersect. The people that own them intersect. Collectors or owners of NFTs and owners of NFTs are becoming collectors. I'm in a bunch of group chats with some big names that it's half the day. I'm, they're talking about, you know, crypto punks and, you know, and monkeys or apes or whatever. <laughs> and then half the day uh, I'm looking at Jordan rookies and I'm looking at, you know, LeBron Inc. And I'm being asked if this aut autograph is good quality or not. So it's the same talk track with the same people. But you're right. For some reason, they're like kind of keeping they're trying to the industries are trying to keep each other at arm's reach. Um, what I what I will say is that I think there is opportunity to innovate on each side with each side. So I think the NFT and the digital and the 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 crypto and that there's a big opportunity for that in the physical sports card space. And then I think there's a big opportunity to to kind of bring some physical um, you know capabilities or physical attributes to the NFT space. Um, if you if you guys are wondering how that would work, like just to give you an example, and we're going to release this too. It's we had Yam on, but Yam did a good job of grading a Elon Musk card with SGC, getting the fit, tangible card, create, minting a digital version of the NFT, and then he found fifty people and he did a giveaway, and he sent the card and he sent the NFT. So it it's kind of connects the both, right? Uh, so there's ways to do it. There are ways to do it for Cage. I was proposing Cage loves Coke, Coca-Cola. Uh, and if we make it, we're going to get Coke as a sponsor. So if Coke did an NFT, which I heard they were doing, any owners of a Coke NFT could get they a barcode. It sold for like a half a million dollars, one. But, one. Or, but like if, if the owners of an NFT, they get a QR code or some kind of thing in the mail or on their phone. And if they go to you know participating uh, stores, they might get 50% off their Coke order right now you have this utility added on to an nft that yep. cages cage has never been happier i'm gonna get That's that true. i like coke genius i like coke. <laughs> so, definitely do. three brought to you by the fine folks in coca-cola <laughs> listen i will gauge my success in this hobby and in life i consider myself rich if one day in my home i have one of those freestyle machines that they have at like you know the movie theater where you can just like put oh Coke Zero with like nineteen different Frankenstein flavors like raspberry, lime, cherry, boom, all in one. I want it, and somebody's got to come and like and like replenish my flavors. I've been dying for a vintage Coke vending machine. That's that's my dream. One of those cool old ones. That's cool. You, you know that Mexican Stop Coke. It, Mexican Coke apparently isn't the same as U.S. Coke. Oh, no. sure. cane sugar, it's sweeter. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> Last go. question. Smuggle some back for us, Goldberg. <laughs> uh, last question so and i was going to ask you I mean, you could touch on this in the question so there, february 2020 there's a, a card boom i remember we were like looking at prices like zion base went from like 75 to 100 people were like why would you pay a hundred dollars for a base anyway february 2020 boom COVID hit a little bit of like what what the f's gonna happen and then we saw another run up 
August 2020, another run-up. So we've just seen run-ups, run-ups, run-ups. Then February of this year hit, and okay, we're a little jittery. You know, Michael Jordan sold for 750000 Then it came back down to earth. You're a dealer. You, you know you've, your nightlife. You kind of – you're in breaks. Where do you see the market? Like from today moving forward, What what's like kind of your macro vision on, on what's going to happen maybe the next yeah. 12 to 18 months? Yeah. So I, I think when you look at our, our market as a card market and you take a step back and you look at the whole thing at a broad scale, we have a very cyclical industry, right? It is operating in cycles and each sport defines that cycle, right? And what happened this, mo this most recent run up or run down, I just felt like was super amplified and extreme, right? When the, when the prices softened, when basketball prices started to come down, they came down at the same time they always come down, right? towards the end of the season, as teams are getting eliminated, as you start to get a better sense of the playoff picture, and all of a sudden your Tyler Hero is not going to the playoffs or he's not making it to the second round and his stuff crashes, and then all of a sudden, you know, you see Donovan Mitchell comes out and now his stuff goes down. As players start to, you know, their fate starts to get sealed, the market starts to tick down, and then you've got two teams left, and all of a sudden a player wins it, and everybody expects his stuff to skyrocket, but in reality his season's over, right? And everybody's like, oh, my God. What's happening? The market's crashing. Giannis stuff only spiked for a week and now it's coming down again. That's what happens every year, right? And then you start to see football prices get exciting and people start to get excited about Mahomes and Brady and Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield. And then it becomes the, the quarterback craze, which we saw at the national to an extent. And we're going to go into the season and somebody's going to start one and three and their prices are going to cut in half, right? Oh, yeah. That's what happens, right? And then all of a sudden we're going to start seeing basketball hype build up and Lucas stuff's going to spike and Jordan stuff's going to come back to life and LeBron stuff's going to come back to life. And, you know, it's the way the market works and it's on time. The timing changes here and there from each season to each season, but it happens cyclically. So I think what we see in our market is scheduled. Now what happens year to year changes as far as what those waves look like. And this year was pretty drastic. Before we go year to year, I'm curious, do you think this is a healthy market? And we talked about this a little today, but it's like the Trey Young effect, right? Like, yeah. is it healthy that Trey Young silvers before the season were 3,500? He exceeded expectations and then it closed the season at 1750? Yeah, good question. Yeah, so I think, I think the market now is healthy. I think it took a correction for us to get to a point where I'm confident in saying it's healthy. I think the market was unhealthy when trace prices were at what you just referenced. I think that was a scary time and, and it's easy not to recognize that. So a lot of people got burned. Like I, I lost money on some cards, you know, luckily I diversify our, our collection enough to where, you know, we lose some here, but we gain some here. Right. And that's, if you're a dealer, or if you're a collector, you should try to diversify as much as possible. But yeah, the market was not healthy. And that's why we experienced what we experienced at such a drastic rate this past cycle. Um, but I feel like right now where things are, the prices that I'm seeing and the, the, the gradual uptick in the yeah. market that I expect to uptick right now, I feel like we're in a good spot. So it's more incremental. You know what happened? Yeah, I it's think, incremental you know, and it's healthy. It goes back to what you talk about, about getting more people involved, right? I mean, we, the reason why we had that huge runoff and it happened right when Trey's card started to explode was because we were getting more and more people into the hobby. You know, just look at the, all the content creators who are out there and all the breakers who are out there and all the businesses that came. And, you know, that's very difficult to sustain that type of growth, especially without what you're talking about. You know, finding a way to get mainstream media news coverage on these things to show people that there's 60, 70,000 people at a national. Right. If you don't have that, it's difficult. We've now we've now hit that peak. So, you know, for Trey's cards to keep going up, we would have had to continue to add more demand. And we just, it was a growth, it was a growth pace that just could not be sustained while at the same time, PSA is churning out more supply. <laughs> you yep. know what I mean? Because everyone's True. grading these things. So it, it was kind of like a perfect storm. And you're, I think you're a hundred percent right. Um, and I got to tell you, the one thing I take from the national, we've talked to everybody about the national. And I think one person might've said this, my take, you know, I'll throw it in here because I, I mean, I love a lot of things. It's a funny thing, right? You haven't said anything that is like, wow, I never thought of that. But a bunch of points you've made have made me start thinking. And I hope our listeners are also paying attention to that, right? Because you bring a different perspective to the hobby. You bring kind of like it's a cultural nightlife. You obviously want the hobby to grow, 
you want to bring your friends in. You want to combine nightlife. You want to see all these things, you know, expand. I got to tell you, going into the national, I thought we were going to come out of it and see like a real slow growth or like a stagnant, you know, kind of like flat line. Because I thought that th- there was an energy leading up to the national that I thought was just an energy about the national. But being at the national and coming out of there and seeing the kids and seeing all of the money being thrown into the business, into the axes to go and find the gold, into the panhandling, right? And, you know, into all the whatnots and, and just the, the breaking that's going on. I now have a, a little rosier perspective on the hobby going forward for the next six to 12 months than I did even going into the national. I hope we can maintain some of that momentum. And I love talking to people like you because there is a genuine excitement about the hobby and about how we can all kind of as a community we're not going to go online and go on Twitter tonight and talk about how our apes are awesome and you, you better be an ape because if you're not an ape, you're not cool, right? We can't do that, but we're doing our part, right? And you're obviously doing yours. You want to, you got Steve Aoki, you know, you, you bring in the folks who can try to grow this. And I think that's kind of the lesson that I'm, I'm taking from, from chatting with you. It's just, you know, we need more people who are going to be ambassadors of the hobby. And it doesn't have to be one. It doesn't have to be a face of the hobby. It could be all of us, right? Sure, competition. Sure, make your money. But realize that we are part of something bigger because that seems to work for folks, right? Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Same page. I think it comes down to you know being on the same page with each other as members of this. You know, We call it a hobby, right? And I've mentioned before, you know, it, it stays a hobby if we don't continue to elevate each other, right? It, it stays, you know, hobby's a hobby until it becomes an industry, until it becomes a category, until we grow it to beyond that. And it'll always be called the hobby, right? Mm-hmm. That's, we own that name and, you know, it, it deserves to be called that. But for it to get beyond that, you know, we're, and we're right there. We're right there. But for it to continue to go and become a true industry, we've got to continue to push each other. And we have to continue to be accountable to each other. And, you know, like I said on, you know, Goldberg, you mentioned on Slab Talk, you know, you guys are putting together a really unique series and bringing the national to people and bringing big names in the hobby to people. And, you know, I'm doing my part to bring big names into the break space and big bring name, big names into the show space. And, you know, Dan at, at Coffee and Cards is doing his part in building a global brand. And, you know, Steve and, and you know, his brand is, you know, he's making his brand available to us as an industry to help us grow it. So we've got to continue to be accountable to each other. We have to continue to push each other. Um, and the only way to to do that is to, you know, come on shows like these and keep each other in check, you know? Costa, where can, uh, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, good question. So uh, I am managing partner of Big Night Sports. Uh, first and foremost, that's our parent company. Um, you can find our, our buy, sell, and trade at Costa Cards on Instagram. You can see it right there. Um, you can go check us out. Our break page is at Big Night Breaks. We break right now on Instagram and on Whatnot. Um, and then you can definitely go check out the Causeway Card Show at Causeway Card Show on Instagram. We're going to be announcing the dates of our next show soon. Um, but that's what we got so far with many more things to come. Especially to our more youthful audience that's still <laughs> in like that stage of like we want to go out, we want to have a good time, and we collect cards. Because there's different demos. You know, there's there's fathers yeah. and sons, but then there's Shy Wave Logs, who's at every party at every event across the world. To those, <laughs> like... Causeway yes, show. But does he Shy remember them the next day? <laughs> right? So that's the question. Everywhere I go, I remember it the next you day. You gotta Shy check out the show. behavior. <laughs> what's uh what's the name of your LC- of the stores? Does it cost the cars as well? So we haven't officially announced the brand. Um, we're trying to be pretty strategic on how we roll it out, but Smart. what I can say is that it's three uh, locations at three very prominent um very uh prestigious historical locations in the new england area to start okay so you can kind of run your imagination as needed um i'm trying to think again, the, again yes the I'm campbell part of, soup the campbell soup factory where they make uh, the white clam chowder campbell that's gonna be soup. one of them right yep. so take dale i'm trying to think yep. what else is, what All else beers house uh, in the north end. where they film ted Yep. They snuck right. into tom brady's house right exactly right at brookline where uh, <laughs> brookline the golf course and then, and then a Breakers Pavilion right That's over it. that big, big Here's green the wall big in question. Fenway Park. If I show up at the Causeway Show, can I wear an Aaron Judge jersey? You can wear anything no. you want. He's like, no, I'll Andrew sign, says no. I'll assign you personal. You're going to need personal security, <laughs> but I'll make sure you get it. <laughs> That's it. New York, Boston, getting together. Cats well, we'll and have, dogs. When you do go ahead and open the stores, we'd love to have you back on for our, for our community and especially the tri-state area that could come and support. 
Well, man, uh, I would really appreciate that. And, and guys, I had so much fun with you today. And again, I can't tell you the names that you've had on the show and, and what you put together, the fact that you included me, I'm so appreciative. Um, I had so much fun with the two of you. And, Don't sell yourself short, man. Look Come forward on. to talking to you too soon. You did, you did great. You belong here. I mean, you know, it's amazing the, the, you know, the, the different perspective, the different, you know, the different businesses, the different folks who are making up the industry, the hobby, whatever, whatever we're going to call it today. I mean, thank you. Thanks for spending time with us. I leave an hour of speaking with you more optimistic than I was before. So awesome. can, can you just still at the stage where he's blown away by entrepreneurs that are younger than him? Like he's like, well, I can't believe these kids are killing it. And everyone's I'm younger than me. I did the whole thing wrong. I did the whole, but I'm making up for it this year. I'm, yeah, an, I'm an NFT legend. Wow. He's got his apes. He's got his apes. <laughs> I might get one. I don't know. It's a little expensive now. When you guys are in Boston, hit me up. Come see me. We'll have a good time. Thank 100%. you, Costa. Appreciate it. This episode of Lucas, Tigers, and Bronze was brought to you by Hybrid Grading Approach. Take it from someone who has personally submitted thousands of cards for grading. HGA slabs just hit different. They're top of the line and color coordinated to match the card itself. The aesthetics are unrivaled in the industry. When paired with the ease of submission and the transparency of the pricing model, HGA stands alone as the best choice for grading your cards. I believe that once you try them out, you will agree. Thanks for listening, Luca Nation. Thank you for spending some time with us on another episode of the Lucas Tigers and Bronze Oh My podcast. Um, do us a favor and like, subscribe. Now nah, you know what? Don't just like and subscribe. Everybody does that. If you like us, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your enemies, tell everybody. And uh, we hope you got something from spending some time with us today, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.